Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Our Bible reading is taken from Jonah 1, 3b to 4. At the end of this reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Please kindly respond by saying, thanks be to God. Jonah 1, 3b to 4. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tashish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tosin, for that reading. And uh, welcome, welcome to church, welcome to the church. I don't know if you're joining for the first time. Can I extend my own warm welcome to you? My name is Femi Oshunui, I'm lead pastor here. And you've come at a very good time because we only just began a series through a very interesting book of the Bible. It's called the book of Jonah. And we titled the series, Outrageous Grace. Outrageous Grace. And I, I'm really, really excited about preaching from this book along with the others that will join me. And so before we get into the word, can I ask that we will just pray we need God. We need God to speak to us as we have sang. Now let's just ask him very briefly to really um, come and fill this place with his presence. Lord, we need you now as we want to go into your word. We need you, Lord God, to speak. Let your teaching fall like rain. Let your words descend like dew. Let it be like showers on new grass. Let it be like abundant rain upon tender plants. We want you, O Lord God, to make a difference and make lasting change in our life. We want you, God, to meet with us. We don't want to be the same again. So speak to us, Lord, we pray. Amen. Somebody once said, Trouble sleep. Finish. Yanga, go wake up. Where do you define? Palawa. Now, what he didn't say is that there are two kinds of trouble. At least two kinds. And I can tell you, illustrating with my life. Let me first take you to a couple of years ago. Well, so, quite more than a couple of years ago, to Miss Thomas's lesson. Some of you may not know Miss Thomas's lesson, but when I was in secondary school, Miss Thomas's lesson was the happening lesson in Lagos at the time. Because it was really a place where the happening schools were coming to. Now, happening schools are not necessarily the elite highbrow schools. But they are also not the ones that are, you know, somewhere down. Uh, they got to, they're somewhere in the middle. So the real happening schools was where Miss Thomas's lesson was. Uh, the, the students that came from there were going to Miss Thomas's lesson. International School Lagos, that's where I was part of. There was King's College. No, there was no Ansaruddin. Somebody saying Ansaruddin. No. International School Lagos, King's College, Queen's College, 
Vivian Fowler. So you can imagine it was a nice time. Now, I think at this point, I was probably in GS3. And as you have with when you're transitioning out of whether GS3 or SS3, we have this thing called slum books. I don't know if you remember. I don't even know if they still fill slum books. So there was a slum book that was going around. The slum books, that's where you just say stuff about yourself. Who was your bestie? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? You know, some interesting things. But then, depending on the slum book, some people take it a little bit further. They take it, you know, a little bit dirtier. Who would be your crush? Who would be your, you know, all those kind of things. Some even went way further. So, somebody put up a slum book in Mr. Moses' lesson. It was a dirty slum book. I'm not going to tell you some of the things that were there. I'm just going to say, let your mind wander. And the first two people have filled that book. And then yours truly was number three to fill it. And when I saw it, with all these people here, I knew they were going to read. I wanted to, I wanted to show them that, you know, I was a guy. I knew all these things. So I filled it. It was a dirty slum book, and I filled it in the most dirty way. And it was around the people were looking at it until I found out that Miss Thomas got the book. But that wasn't bad enough. After Miss Thomas had called me to her office, she called my older sister to her office as well. We pleaded, and she was about to let us go only for my father to find out that we were in Miss Thomas's office when he had come to pick us. After which she had agreed not to. But he came in, he had to ask Mr. Thomas, why are they here? And if you know my father, he can be very persuasive. He told us to leave so that Mr. Thomas would not look at my sorry face. But I could pick. And I can never forget when I saw my father going through every page of the slum book. That is when my attitude was like this guy on the screen. I said, yes, my life, it don't be, you know, it don't be for you, right? That's when I was like that. Because all I could say was, I brought this upon myself. I'm not going to tell you what happened after, <laughs> but that's one kind of trouble. The second kind of trouble is when a couple of years ago, after a Sunday comeback was my wife and my first son, at the time was the only one. And we were just watching TV, catching up with something. And then immediately I felt the most excruciating pain, like a bolt of lightning just go through my leg. And I yelled out. And I, what is that? And then it came again. And I yelled out again. And I, was, I couldn't keep control of it. And nothing, if you looked at my leg, was going on. It stopped for a while and I yelled out. By this time, my son was crying. I had to go to a hospital. And weeks, for weeks and weeks, I kept going to different doctors and they couldn't help me. And I remember one day, because I could not go out again, I couldn't go uh, to work, I couldn't go, I was still doing my PhD at the time, and I felt like at this point it's on the line. And I didn't see any cure inside. And one day I just remember having this sinking feeling saying, why me? What have I done to deserve this? as the second kind of trouble. You see, the two kinds of trouble are the trouble whose cause we can trace and the trouble whose cause we cannot trace. But irrespective of the cause, there are two things that always come with this stuff. It's how we feel and what we hope for. How we feel, irrespective of the cause of the trouble, is like we are facing a raging storm. 
And what is it that we hope for? Is that we are able and equipped to be able to face that storm and come out of it the right way. And that's what today's sermon is about. You see, because as Tosin read for us, you can see that the, the Jonah and the people on that ship were facing a raging storm. It says there that a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And maybe you are facing a storm. And what we are praying for, what I'm hoping for, is at the end of this sermon, having gone through this, we will learn how to face storms in our lives, no matter the cause. But more importantly, we'll find out that God provides the key, the ultimate key, to help us in dealing not only with specific storms in our life, but with the ultimate storm. And that we will find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, let's go into this sermon we called Facing Raging Storms. We're going to look at it under three headings. Facing the storms of sin, facing the storms of life, facing all storms through Christ. Facing the storms of sin, facing the storms of life, facing all storms through Christ. Now, facing the storms of sin. So Jonah decided to disobey God. Um, the commandment that God gave Jonah was to go to Nineveh. Jonah decided to go to Tarshish. And as a result of that, we are told in verse 4 that God sent a great storm. He sent a great storm. Now notice that Jonah's trouble, the storm, could be directly traced to Jonah's sin, his disobedience. Now, it's not the case that we can, you see, we cannot always trace every difficulty to particular sins, but sins will always particularly lead to difficulty. I'll say that again. We cannot always trace every difficulty we experience in life to particular sins, but sins will particularly always lead to difficulty. You know why? It's because sin violates the design of a loving God, a loving and good creator. You see, the Bible tells us that God is love, which means that everything that God ever does, anything that you read in the Bible that it says God does, God does it out of love, including creation. The creation was made out of love, therefore the creation was good. Now God then put in certain good laws to sustain the goodness of that creation. Sin is when we violate the good laws of God that enable the system of the world to work in the goodness and the love of God. And when we do that, the system will then work against us. You see, I like the way someone put it. Tim Keller says, a pastor in New York, he says, sin is the suicidal action of the will upon itself. Think about that. It is the suicidal action of the will upon itself. But he says that how that happens is more like radiation rather than a bullet. More like radiation than a bullet. If it's a bullet, what happens with a bullet? We feel the symptom immediately. But with radiation, what happens? You get it like, ah, this thing is fine. It's a walk in the park. And then the symptoms start to come later and later. But by then, it is too late. 
The system, when we violate God's command, works against us because sin is the suicidal action of the will upon itself. Let me give you an example of how this thing works, step by step. Imagine, and I want to take the example of what sinful reactions, sinful reactions lead to and how that you see a suicidal action upon us or ourselves. Sinful reaction. So someone pisses you off. What do you do? Someone pisses you off. They do something that is wrong. What do you do? Well, here's how we allow sin to come in. First of all, you allow bitter thoughts. You start getting angry. Why, why would you do that? You are irritable. Why would you do that? Now, you don't check that irritability. You don't check that irritation. What do you do? You allow your mind to wander further. And so what then happens is that you bring the person into your own world in your mind. And you start to exact more rage against the person in your mind. You start to achieve retributive action against them. For some of us, we are beating the person. For some of us, we are shouting on the person. We are reimagining the things that the person has done. And do you know why we continue to do this? Because it feels good. Many times the things that we're unable to do to people outside in the world, it feels good to do it inside our mind. And so you take them to court. You give them the sentence, guilty. You bring them back, guilty. You bring them back, sentence them again. And you start to feel good. And then the next thing, this increases, sadly, your capacity. After you've dealt the action on them, it increases your capacity for self-love, self-pity, and self-justification. Because you have created an enemy out of this person. This person is totally horrible, terrible. Likewise, or rather, the converse is that you are the one that has been offended, self-pity. You are the one that, you know, all the things that you do are right. They're understandable, self-justification, and it's all all hinged on self-love. What does this lead to? It leads to an increasing tendency to see others' faults Above your own, when you self-love yourself, when you are so full of um, loving yourself, you now increase your capacity to keep seeing other people's faults above yourself. Do you see the progression? For some of us, that is expressed outwardly when you have people that you have authority over or people that you can control in some way. You are always nagging, sparking for every single little thing. And when it's somebody you can't, you don't have any authority over, any control over, you just keep, you know, having mind towards them. And then this leads even to another thing. It leads to a lifestyle. Before you are increasingly criticizing every single thing, but now it leads to a lifestyle of criticizing every little thing in others. And what happens? People, they don't want to hang around you. You are no longer fun to be around. And so what then happens after that is you start to erode all the relationships around you. You erode the existing relationships you have. The the, the new relationships you have, they then live a very short span. They have a short span of life. And as that continues, happiness starts to sap out of your life. And then finally that leads to a sense of loneliness. And in that place of loneliness, you grow even more bitter against people for causing this condition. Do you see? Sin is the suicidal action of the will upon itself. 
Because as we sin, the system works against us. And that's one way sin works. That is, God has said the law, the good law, and when we violate it, the system works against us. But the second way is that God himself, God himself, rather than just allowing the natural order of things to continue, God sometimes is directly involved in the reaction against sin. Look at what the text says in verse 4. It says, the Lord sent a great wind. God himself is directly involved in the reaction against sin. Why? Two reasons. Well, there are lots of reasons, but let me give you two. God punishes us sometimes in our sin directly Why? he wants you to know the value of what you have done, but he also wants to prevent further destruction. He wants you to know the value of what you've done, but he also wants to prevent further destruction. You know why? Because... Love requires protection. Remember I said God does everything out of love? Love requires protection. And God wants to protect from further destruction. And so he intervenes with his judgment. God loves his creation and sin destroys his creation. So judgment is to further prevent destruction. It would be like a guy who is coming into a building and he wants to cause carnage. He wants to, he has a semi-automatic weapon and he wants to just kill as many people, some uh, security people hear about that, and just before he does that, he's shot in the leg. The police come and they arrest him for attempted murder. Now, the shooting in the leg was an act of judgment to prevent more damage. You see, Jonah's disobedience, Jonah's disobedience would have led to Nineveh's destruction. Jonah's disobedience, in fact, by the time you get to 3 verse 4, when Jonah went to preach, when God told him to preach to them, the content of his message was what? 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So God wanted to prevent the destruction of Nineveh and that's why God sent Jonah there. If Jonah did not go, then God will have destroyed Nineveh. So God wanted to prevent that destruction. In other words, when God sent the storm to Jonah, God was judging Jonah so that he would not judge Nineveh. And so, God, it says in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, As surely as I live, declares Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? And that's what God wanted to send to Nineveh. And so some of us, you may be experiencing something. <laughs> Because of your sin, God is judging you. You need to stop thinking about the punishment that you're experiencing. God wants you to see the value of your sin and he wants to spare others the heartache it'll cause. Rather than thinking about the judgment that has come upon you, think about how the consequences of your sin, if God allowed it to continue, would have caused chaos and brought shame to your spouse, your kids, your co-workers. God wants us to stop sinning so that we don't continue to face the storms that come with it. So what do you do? Well, look at in verse 3b. What did it say about Jonah? He says, after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Notice the description of sin. It was fleeing from the Lord. 
You see, many times when we think about sin, how do we describe sin? We describe sin as what? The breaking of God's commandment and you will not be right. You will not be wrong. But that is not the most essential way to describe sin. We often think about it in the abstract of opposition to God's law. We never look at it in the, at the essence of breaking God's heart because of a relationship we have with him. Let me explain. Now, I tend to take an archaic view. I think it's a biblical view, and I'm very firm on it. That the Bible does not allow for any kind of sexual activity before you are married, including kissing. Now, I was a, a while ago, I was talking with someone who basically, like, you know, were talking about the fact that they had just kissed. And I was like, and I was like, why now? And the person was like, the person knew. The person said they, it, it was wrong person felt they had sinned. Now, it was a day before that I, I, I found that out. I was very unhappy with the person. And so the next day, though, I'd realized that, let me get to why this person was thinking about it, because the person acknowledged it, but I didn't see any measure of repentance from the person. So called the person the next day, let's talk about it. So I asked the person, what you did, was it wrong? The person said, Yes. I said, why is it wrong? The person said, um, because it's sexual activity. I said, oh, so what is, why is it then wrong? He said, because the Bible said so. I said, okay, and so what? And the person is looking at me like, is there any other thing to say? What was, it's okay. That's the person. I said, let's ask another question. How would you feel about aborting a seven-month-old baby? Immediately, the person's eyes lit up and the person said, oh, that would be very wrong. I said, why is it wrong? The person said, because it's, it's, it's murder, it's killing, and the Bible forbids it. I answered, oh, and is that all? The person said, well, even if the Bible, even if I didn't have any knowledge of the Bible, that." It is still wrong to take a human life. And persons at this point, you know, a little bit <laughs> agitated. It's wrong to take a, a, a human life, particularly the a one that is defenseless and most vulnerable. Said it would be grotesque. And I said, that's the problem. You see, when it came to the sin of abortion, the person was much more emotive. Why? Because the person associated abortion with personhood. When it came to the sin of kissing outside of marriage, the person was less emotive. Why? Because the person associated it with an abstract law. And so the sense of grief that the person had when something was associated with personhood was different than with what were being associated with just an abstract law. And here is the problem. Many of the sins that we commit, quite often, we don't look at it from the personhood of God. We look at it from the law of God. It is true the law of God is there, and it's perfectly fine. But we will never really feel and see how deep the sin is when we don't see that it is attached to breaking a relationship with God. 
Sin is always fleeing from God, not just breaking the commandment of God. And so how do we uh, do this? Well, first of all, I'm not going to go through how you can, you know, if we are caught up in this, there's a whole series called The Anatomy of Sin. I'm sure it is in your description box. It's going to be in the chat uh, comment section. Please go and listen to that series. But suffice to say that you should, if you want to at least start to view the sin the way it's meant to, don't just look at it as breaking a commandment, but look at it as breaking a relationship with God. In other words, if you want to start to have victory over sin, you ask God that he gives you the recovery of sight of his personhood so that you can return to him in deep repentance. When we lose sight of God's personhood, we don't feel like God is sitting right next to us. Most of the time, we will not commit the acts that we are meant, that we, um, the acts of sin against a particular person, the person is right there. But because we have lost sight of the personhood of God, the commandments, like, yeah, I know. And that's why we don't have deep repentance. But that takes me to the second point, facing the storms of life. Facing the storms of life. I want you to realize this. In the other one, we said that some of the storms that we have can be directly traced to sin in our lives. But in this, notice that Jonah was not the only person in the boat. In fact, in chapter, in verse 5, he says, All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God. There were sailors with him. There were people on that boat. So the storm that was as a result of Jonah's sin has now caught some other people who you couldn't say that it was according to their own sin. You see, unlike Jonah who could trace the reason for the storm to his sin, the sailors couldn't. Sometimes we just experience difficulty of life, not difficulty of sin. You see, the Bible teaches that because of the original sin of Adam and Eve, we all have the sin DNA, and so there is continuous sin of humanity. And because of that, the entire creator order doesn't work. It sort of works in a predictive, chaotic way. Some things are random. You see, that's why you have to be very careful. Jesus warns against this. It will be very callous of us. And in fact, very foolish of us to say that, you see the properties of the people that are being destroyed currently in California with the fires, that it is because of specific sin, you know, in California. Or that the people who died through COVID... It is because they were worse sinners than those who did not die through COVID. Jesus expressly forbids this kind of foolish talk in Luke chapter 13 when people came to ask him about people that had died, that Pilate had killed. He said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. Or he talked about almost a man-made or natural disaster, however you want to classify it. He said, or the 18." Who died in the tower in Siloam fell, uh, 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Sometimes the storms that we face are just, it's just the issue of life. So perhaps you are struggling with advanced diabetes or you are about to hit 40 and you are still single. 
Or your kids are currently living rebellious, unfulfilled lives and you are wondering, what did I do to deserve this? Please stop. The truth, rather than being the result of a particular sin, is that sometimes some storms are a result of the brokenness of life. Life in a fallen world. You see, the truth is that if you live long enough, we will always experience one difficulty. As I'm speaking, some of us are currently in a difficulty. Some of us have just come out of one difficulty. Or some of us are about entering into one difficulty. Pick your choose. Choose your pick. So you see, the important thing about life storms isn't how to escape them, but how to face them. How do we face them? Just this past week, I was speaking with a church planter friend of mine. He's in a bit of a storm. They've just been evicted from their place of worship. And the bad thing is they only just recently got that place of worship. And they were beginning, and they had chased that place for a while. They couldn't find, they had been meeting houses. And they got that place so happy, they started to see the fruit of using that place. And all of a sudden, through no fault of theirs, in fact, it had something to do with the owner of the place. He had problems with his own creditors. And that's why they were evicted. He's in a raging storm. And honestly, he was wondering what to do. In fact, he asked me, he said, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? I, I was going to give him some advice. But the first thing I wanted to assure, I wanted to ensure, and I told him this was, I don't want your spirit to be broken. And for any of us watching, any of us gathered here, anybody watching who is particularly going through a raging, violent storm, please do not allow your spirit to be broken. Because if you do, as I told my friend, you won't see the benefit of the storm and how God may be using it for your good. If your spirit is broken, you won't see the benefit of the storm and how God can be using it for your good. To which you are saying, benefit of storm? Benefit of the storm? Yep. You see, even though, and I'm speaking very naturally as we can see here, storms can be very destructive, no doubt about that. But storms, seen from another perspective, because if you are on the sea and you have a storm, it's really bad for you. But storms, seen from another perspective, actually has a lot of benefits. I can give you five of them. Do you know that storms are the Earth's air conditioner. And if you know if someone like me, like I can't, I don't think I can do without air condition, right? The Earth has its own air conditioner, maybe five thousand million horsepower air conditioner. It's called a storm. But also, storms provide, as we would know, water for vegetation. Vegetation gives us food. Though. Storms also, because of the wind, they distribute seed to spread and scatter, to be planted in different places. Storms remove old and weak vegetation to make way for new growth. One more. And this one, we all know it. You know how after a storm, you go outside. How does the air feel like? Huh? When you smell the air, how does it feel like? Fresh. 
because storms remove pollution from the air. Seen from another perspective, you can see the benefit of a storm. As it is in the natural about storms, it is also in the situation of our lives. There are benefits to storms. We should not allow our spirits to get broken. We should see the, the storm from another perspective. Because, for instance, notice, if you just look at the storm alone and the carnage is trying to bring, you will end up saying that, hey, yeah, this ship is broken. Have you ever said, I'm finished? Who has ever said that, uttered those words? I'm finished. Now, the thing is that when you said I'm finished, it's anticipation of being finished. You are not yet finished. The person that said I'm finished is not yet finished. You are still there. Now, that's exactly what happened. It says, a violent storm arose. The ship threatened to what? Break up. Did it say the ship has broken up? It said it threatened to break up, but it had not broken up. Your storm may be threatening to break you, but guess what? You are not yet broken. You need to look at your storm from another perspective. I can offer you some other benefits of the storm now, not in the spiritual, because in the physical as we just did. But what if, as C.S. Lewis said, that your storm may be God's megaphone to bring your attention to stuff in your life that needs to be changed? Or maybe it's God's way of building tenacity in your life to enable you withstand greater shocks that may be coming ahead in order for you to achieve greater things. In other words, that is, if you don't learn how to deal with some of these specific issues as God is trying to take you somewhere else when other obstacles will come, if you've not practiced, the Bible says that if you turn back in the day of adversity, it is because your strength is small. Or maybe another one. Maybe it's God's way of preparing you to comfort and advise others who will soon go through the same kind of thing that you have gone through. Blessed be the Lord our God, who uh, blessed be God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our sufferings when and so that we are able to comfort all those who, have, who are going through suffering with the same comfort that we receive from God. Another two, it may be God setting you up. As Jesus said to the blind man, it may be just God setting you up to experience a great deliverance so that the glory of God may be seen. Or maybe, maybe, most importantly, it is God's way of drawing you back into dependency upon him. Do you understand what I'm saying? God never wastes a storm, and so neither should you. Don't allow your spirit to be broken. If you, if you, if you would decide not to allow your spirit to be broken and decide to look at it from another perspective, God will bring insightful solutions to you. Don't allow your spirit to be broken. Though the ship is being threatened to break up, it is not yet broken up. And so what do you do? As you are trying to learn to see from another perspective, you need to be gaining strength. And you gain strength personally and collectively. Once again, I'm not going to go deeply into that. We have a series we just finished. It's called Intimacy with God. It's the last series. Find out how to get strength. But personally and collectively. And collectively, may I, can I just put in a plug? If you've not signed up for gospel communities, it would be good for you to sign up for. Because there you can get collective strength. You can get collective strength. And we are resuming our gospel communities next week. We'll give you more details after the announcement. But sign up. Info at tdchurchlagos.com. All right. Finally. 
Some people are facing all storms through Christ. Now, I know some people would say now, though, that my loved one didn't beat the disease before they died. Or despite all my best efforts to persevere, my marriage still didn't survive. The storms of life got, got the best of me. Some others would say, I'm trying, but I am still, five years after, I'm still battling this pornography, this addiction to pornography, despite my best efforts. In other words, what they are saying is this. What if these storms endlessly plague my life? The storms of sin and the storms of death. What if they endlessly plague my life? What if they are with me all through my life? What will God say about me? What is God's view of me if I am constantly facing the storm of sin? Because that means I am constantly sinning. So what does God say about me? Because maybe all these things that come to me, I keep deserving it. And that's the way I am going to ultimately end. And the other person is going to say, what if these storms of life keep hitting me over and over again? How long can I wait for my spirit not to be broken? In other words, what then starts to happen is we start to build our identity through the storms. I am a sinner and I am broken. And so you are thinking, what does God see when he sees me? Does he always just see that person, this useless person that no matter what happens, will continue to sin? And is there any hope for me in this life that eventually I will break the storms of life when they continue, continue, continue coming to me? Well, I have news for you. <laughs> you cannot but sin. You are going to continue to sin. I am not saying you shouldn't fight against sin, but I am also saying that there is a deep sickness that we have. And guess what? Even though I am encouraging that you fight the storms of life, ultimately, you can't stop all the storms of life. You know why? Because one day, one day, you will die. You will die. The ultimate storm of life is death. And truly, because we have the sin DNA in us, the ultimate storm of sin is hell. And so what can we do? Is there a way, though? What if there was a way that God, not forgetting the reality of the storms of life in your life that you're going through, and God also not forgetting the fact that the storms of sin that are coming to you are as a result of your sin. Is it still possible that God is able, despite your sins, to see you in a way that keeps you secure? in a favorable status with him. Is it possible that despite life's storms, you can be assured that it won't finally have the last word upon your life? Is it possible? Well, let me take you to another storm. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to 27, Jesus and his disciples, it says, they were caught in a furious storm. In a furious storm. They were frantic. They were, what are we going to do? It don't be for us. At that point, some of them started remembering, because hey, I, I should have slept with that woman. I should have slept my seat. Everything by me. I am you. You know? And some were saying, what have I done to deserve this? 
And guess what? While all of this was going, do you know what Jesus was doing? He was snoring. Jesus was sleeping. Let me tell you something. With all the terrible things that you may be going through in your life, with the frantic, the franticness that it brings in your life and how it has caught up with you, do you know what's happened? God is not in panic concerning your situation. God isn't trying to think, yeah, 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 what are we going to do about Yemi's situation? What are we going to do about Toby's situation? What are we going to do about year today's situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but please don't understand. Don't misunderstand. The fact that God is as though he's asleep, he's very calm. It is not because he's indifferent to your situation. It is because he has done something final about your situation. Notice what happened. The people went to Jesus. These people of little faith, they still uttered a very, very, very faithful statement. Even though I'm sure they didn't know what they were saying. They said, Lord, save us. The solution to what God has done about your sin is always found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone can save you. He alone can give you a new identity. He said, Jesus got up and Jesus spoke. He said, oh, you have little faith. But they had little faith. Oh, you have little faith. Then said, he got up and he rebuked what? The winds and the waves. To which they all said, what kind of man is this? I'll tell you what kind of man he is. He is a man full of outrageous grace. He is a God who... The, the fact that it brought about a, an immediate solution, it was a picture of the eternal solution that Jesus was bringing. You see, in verse 5, in Jonah, back to Jonah, the people called upon their own gods, but these disciples now saw their God, and it's like, he's a man, but he's also God. What kind of man is this? I said, he's a man of outrageous grace, because ultimately what he did was in the cross, he rebuked the storms of sin, but in the resurrection, he rebuked the storms of life. In the storm, in, in, in the cross of Jesus Christ, when he went there, all the storms of all our sin was put upon him. So that God did not look at us through our sin. He looked at us through the sacrifice of Christ. But he demonstrated his power. What greater storm is there of life than the storm that takes away life? But Jesus, he said, conquered the grave. And now he gives you a new identity. He, was rebu he rebuked the storm by being of sin by being consumed on our behalf. But in his resurrection, he rebuked the storms of life. And now he assures us that there is an end to all our suffering. There is an end to all our sickness. There is an end to all our loneliness. There is an end to all our dissatisfaction. Because Jesus rose again. And now he offers you that outrageous grace. Not because of anything you deserve. But just because... His grace is outrageous. What kind of man is this? He is the man that says, stop naming yourself by your storms. Let me name you. Let me give you a new identity. He's the man who says, if you come to that new identity, I'll give you my Holy Spirit. He will comfort you. He will help you. He will enable you to bring about great deliverances. As you face sin, you will be able to triumph over it. As you face the storms of life, you will be able to go through. You will be able to find deliverance. That is the kind of man he is. He wants to give you a new name. 
And for those of us who are Christians, he wants to do it again. You've experienced it before, but it's been a long time. Now is the time for you to look up to him and say, do it again, Lord. Do it again in my life. He's here to give us that outrageous grace. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.